Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, Sunset. How's it going? Good, good. My name is Derek Cruz, like Aaron said, and today's passage is in Mark 6, 6 through 13, or page 863 in your pew Bibles. All right. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were, his, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is God's word. Well, thank Laura and Herb for the gift. Thank you all for being such a a phenomenal church to be a part of. Um, It's crazy, you know, my son, my youngest son last night, when we were telling him about kind of what the schedule is for today and all the things we have going, he goes, wow, tomorrow's gonna be a long week. And I, and I thought, as, as um, Laura and her pointing out, we've been here five years, I thought, wow, that has been a fast five years. But there have been some long days. <laughs> and I think a lot of life feels like that, right? The days can feel long, but the years can feel really short. Um, we've been so blessed to be a part of it. We can't imagine being anywhere else. Uh, we hope it's more than five years that we get to, to remain here as well. So. Uh, It's a privilege this morning to bring you uh, God's Word and to begin to share this with each other. Um, uh, My friend Doris gave me this shirt, if anybody's wondering. Um, I think she she picked out this color for me because she knows people fall asleep when I preach, and this will help keep people awake. So I appreciate Doris. Uh, She is one of our our just um, beloved members of our church that represent so many different countries and nationalities. Um, Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verses 6 through 13, what Derek just read, if I was to put a title to it, it would be The Sent Ones. Uh, In your Bibles, you may see Jesus sends out the 12, and that's what's happening here. Uh, In in May of uh, 2000, the Columbia Broadcasting System, also known as CBS, uh, they debuted a TV show, a reality TV show called Survivor. Maybe some of you have watched that. Hard to believe it was 22 years ago. Uh, it, was a, it was a unique show for, for, uh, for reality TV at the time. And if you know the story, it's a, a bunch of people are put in a remote place and they are to survive the conditions that they're in. And the last one standing, you know, wins a million dollars or something like that. Um, since then, uh, many other TV shows have picked up kind of on the theme of Survivor. You've got The Amazing Race. Uh, you've got this show called Alone, which my wife and I watched the first episode of. And people are literally just dropping. Uh, with whatever they have in their backpack in these remote destinations with nothing other than their own GoPro cameras to record it. Uh, and they have to survive as well. It, the episode we watched, the guy said, I'm, I have the most experience in this kind of scenario. And of all the contestants, I'm going to last the longest. And day one, he broke his leg and that was it. <laughs> um, 
There's another show, I haven't seen this one, but I think some of you have. Uh, it, they're, they're trying to think, how can, we, how can we send people in with even less than what they have to survive? And some of you know what I'm talking about. It's called Naked and Afraid. Okay. <laughs> you know, in the passage that Derek just read, uh, Jesus has done something for the first time in his ministry. Uh, up until this point, anything that has been said or demonstrated about the coming kingdom of God that is coming through Jesus has been through Jesus. He's done it all. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's preached this new coming kingdom. But now there's a turning point, and it's so significant. Derek just read it. Now it is time for the ones that have been with him, this 12, this inner circle, these apprentices of Jesus, to be sent out. And now they are to do what Jesus has been doing. Think about that for a minute. We, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark together, and Jesus has done some crazy, supernatural things that have literally changed people's lives forever. And now he says, your turn. Go ahead and do it. But, but not only does he, he say to do it, for them to go, but like some sort of modern-day reality TV show, Jesus lays out some conditions I want you to go to the villages. I want you to do these things, but don't bring any extra clothes. In fact, don't bring any food either or a backpack. Don't bring any money. All I want you to bring is your staff and a pair of sandals. And then he says, when you go to a village, I want you to stay in the same house. Like if somebody welcomes you and stay there, when you if you're received well and people start to think you're something, don't switch houses to the nicest house. Stay where you are. So Jesus sends them in there. And then he says, and when you go, this is what I want you to do. Everything that I've been doing. I want you to preach repentance. I want you to heal people. I want you to cast out demons. It's time to, to stop watching and to start doing Man, if this isn't a word for the American church today, I don't know what is. We have so many people that are content with watching the story, with participating uh, as fans, but not engaging with the king, not doing what he has called us to do. Later on, writing to the church, Paul would use the term ambassador for the for, for the members of God's family to, to get what they are about. What does an ambassador do? When a president appoints an ambassador, he represents the president. He represents the nation that he is coming from to other nations. What he says is, is in line with what the president says. What he does reflects on the country of his origin. And so Paul uses this term, ambassador, on purpose. So as the disciples have gone out and these, they've done these things in Jesus' name, it works. <laughs> People are healed. People are free, set free. People receive the message. And so as they go out, the fame of Jesus begins to spread even more. Now it's not just Jesus. It's multiple villages, multiple places at the same time hearing this message. So as the, as the fame is spreading, it goes all the way to the top. Eventually the king hears about this fame. It says in verse 14, picking up where Derek left us off, says, King Herod, this is a different Herod than the one that tried to have Jesus killed. It's actually a relative of his. Uh, King Herod heard about this, what's happening. For Jesus' name had become well known. 
Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Now, this is where we pause for a minute and go, wait a second, what happened to John? Like, last time we left John uh, in, in chapter 1, he had baptized Jesus, and he had a pretty significant ministry himself. What on earth happens? Some of you remember this. John, uh, Mark chapter 1 says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, uh, as we hear about him sending out these disciples, it's kind of like, whoop, what the, what's this about? And so we get kind of a flashback. We get an explanation about what happened with John, who is Jesus' cousin. He's been killed. Why has he been killed? Well, the reason is because John, in preaching this message of repentance, had the audacity to go to the king, King Herod himself, and say, what you are doing is wrong. How you are living is destructive. You need to change. John was not a, a shy guy. And what that ended up costing John was his life. You can read the, the rest of the story later, but I'll give you the kind of cliff notes here. Mark then kind of pauses the story here, and he gives us a bit of a flashback. We find out that King Herod marries his brother's wife, who also happened to be his niece. So there's some issues right there. Uh, and so John calls this out publicly. He says, hey, what you have done, King Herod, is wrong. And so Herod's new wife hates John for this. She, she's perfectly content having left her husband and now being married to the king. So she hates him for it. But Herod, as much as he probably doesn't like being called out like this, Herod's very intrigued by John. He sees something in the ministry of John, and so it keeps Herod from doing anything more to John than simply putting him in prison, and that's what he does. He locks John up, so at least he can't be shouting this stuff in the street anymore. Then one night, at a drunken birthday party, Herod tells his stepdaughter, his wife's daughter, who is pleasing the crowd with the way that she's dancing. He says in this drunken stupor, I'll give you anything you want. And so she goes, hmm, good offer. Let me ask my mom what she would want. So she goes to her mom, and after a consult with her mom, she comes back to Herod, and she says, I want John's head on a platter. Herod's actually a little distressed by this, but he's made this commitment in front of everybody, and so it happens. John the Baptist is beheaded. So back to the, the current moment. When uh, Herod hears all that Jesus is doing, he thinks it's the holy man come back to life. Uh, it's like one of those stories, right? Like, I'm being haunted, you know, by the, by the person that I did injustice to. Herod kind of falls into that, that thinking. You know, it's interesting that this flashback would be included right here, don't you think? I mean, Jesus just sends out the 12. There's been some, some, some pretty interesting things happen. Why would this flashback be inserted into the story, into the narrative at this point? Um, I, I think one of the main reasons is, is it shows the, the heart of humanity that everybody knows they need to change, but don't nobody want to hear it. 
Everybody knows they need to change, but don't, don't nobody want to hear it. When Jesus sends out his disciples, they are preaching one thing. One thing. They're not, they're not saying, hey, start giving to Jesus' ministry so you'll be blessed. No, they're preaching one thing. Repent. And, and if you know, we, we talk about this in church, if you know what repentance means, it means having a change of mind. It means having a change of heart. It means the way that you are living needs to change. And so as they're preaching this message of repentance, they're saying you need to have a change in mind. You need to turn your heart to the ways of God. You need to follow Jesus. So they're praying, they're, they're preaching one thing. And Jesus warns them. He says, folks, they're going to hear this message and they're not going to receive it. They're not going to like it. So he prepares them. He's go without all this, all the gear, extra gear. Trust me that your needs will be provided. But be ready. People are going to reject you. They're going to reject your message. And so on either side of the passage that Derek just read us, we see how that truth plays out. Pastor Caleb last week, talking from the beginning of chapter 6, talks about his own family and the people in his village couldn't receive his words, couldn't receive his ministry. They just didn't believe him. And so then Jesus sends out the 12, saying, be ready, you're going to be encounter the same things. And then we see this little kind of sidebar reflection, remembrance of what happened to John. Why was John killed? Because the message of repentance wasn't received well. Everybody knows they need to change, but don't nobody want to hear it. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like if, if somebody comes to you, uh, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Andrew, you need to lose some weight. Like, I know that, but I don't want you to tell me that. <laughs> or you need to be wiser with your money. Or, you know, if you're younger, does your mom really need to keep telling you over and over again to be kinder to your brother and sister? No, of course. You know that. But do you want to be told that? No. <laughs> it's a human condition. Most people know that they need to change, but they're either so comfortable with their own sin or they feel powerless to overcome it. And most people, honestly, are okay with Jesus at a high level. Like they can go to church and hear the messages and nod their head. They're okay with Jesus at a high level if they can keep Jesus impersonal and figurative. Yeah, he was a good man that lived a long time ago. Yeah, I, I think about him for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. If we can keep him arm's length, we're okay with him. But if we get too close to Jesus, you can't avoid his message. You can't ignore his power. And so eventually, you have to respond to the message of Jesus. And I think, I hope, most folks in this room have decided to follow him. But if you haven't, then you have sided with the others. You've sided with the Herods and the village people that rejected the teachings of Jesus. You know, um, my story of repentance really happens when I was 18 years old. I grew up in the church, and I prayed the prayers, and I, Jesus was very impersonal to me, even though I existed in this Christian bubble. But at the age of 18, I had been walking a certain direction in my life for a number of years. And what I learned how to do was to keep the facade of Christianity uh, in place, in the, right pl in the right circumstances, at church and at youth group and those types of things. But other than that, 
my path was my path. I didn't want to hear what God had to say. I didn't care what any church people had to say. I was living life how I wanted to live it. And I thought I was having a blast. And then my world fell apart. My family, uh, my parents ended up splitting up. And, and everything that I thought was solid in my life became just essentially dust in an instant. And I realized I had to make a final decision with this faith thing. Because now I had to start making some of my own decisions. It was time for me to grow up. And I remember driving out to the edge of this, uh, the ocean, this bluff that was about 300 feet above the coast in Northern California. And I was sitting on the hood of my car. And I was thinking, okay, do I finally just officially reject this faith that I've, that's really not been real for me for several years? Or do I actually like try and walk it out? Do I actually try and live my faith? Because I was tired. I, I needed to commit one way or the other. It was time. And I, and I began to just kind of think about it. And right in that moment, I had like as close to a, a vision as I could ever had up to that point in my life. And I literally saw two, two roads. And I saw one, which was the road that I had been living on for a few years. And I saw another one, which was one where I was finally ready to commit my life to Christ. And when I looked at the road that I thought was the funnest and the easiest, I saw where it ended up. It ended up at a dead end. And so in that moment in my life, I thought, that's it. I, I don't want to live this way any longer. I, I think it's taken me somewhere, but it ends nowhere. I want to follow Christ. And so that night at the age of 18, I made the decision to follow Jesus, and I've never looked back since. That was my story of repentance, a, a new way of thinking, a change of direction. So for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, our repentance is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Thousands and thousands of people encountered the ministry of Jesus. And you know one foolproof way you could identify who had actually received what Jesus was saying? How can you tell which ones had a change of heart and were really his disciples? One of the foolproof ways to figure it out is that you could identify the sent ones. The ones that were had repented and then began to live out that faith wherever Jesus would choose to send them. And we've seen this already in the story of Mark. When the demon-possessed man gets freed by Jesus, he is then sent to 10 different cities to tell about what Jesus has done. We see it with the woman who approached Jesus in faith and she was miraculously healed. Jesus didn't let her slink away back to her home. He publicly wanted her to be acknowledged that she had been healed and set free. And now she became a sent one re-entering society. And then we see it in what we just read and what Derek just read. The disciples, after spending this time with Jesus, they were then sent from village to village. So one of the ways that we can identify people that have really uh, grabbed a hold of the message of the kingdom is they are the sent ones. And they were all, all of these people were able to do this because they had encountered Jesus and their lives were forever changed. So repentance is the beginning of a new direction where we now, as Jesus followers, move into the places 
where Jesus would go. We, we speak the words that Jesus would speak, and we live out in the power and the authority that Jesus displayed. And this isn't for super Christians only. This is for normal Christians. You know, we just uh, got to know Martin and Margaret a little bit. They're not super Christians. They are simply believers that said, Jesus, what would you have me do? And then they did it. They're normal Christians. Moving to a foreign country, loving on people, and sharing the message of Jesus. And I would, I would even go as far as to say anything less than that, than devotion to Jesus and a willingness to repent and follow him wherever he may lead you, is not actual Christianity. And we have 70% of our nation that says, yeah, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. Really? 70%? Don't you think things would look a little bit different if we had normal Christians in that 70%? Repentance is just the beginning. Jesus then wraps his arms around you and he says, okay, you're with me now. Now go, share and your eyes get big, and you, and you take a look at your bank account, and, and your family, and your future plans, and, and you begin to wonder, and then Jesus says, hey, hey, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you in this. Just do what I say. Love how I love. Do what I do. And then trust me with all that other stuff. The, the story of the sending of the 12 is not normative, okay? So don't take this passage and be like, okay, I guess, you know, we're going to sell all that we have and uh, only wear sandals and walk around with the staff. Like that's not, what's, that's not what the point of the story is. The point of the story is Jesus wanted his disciples to know that when he told them to do something, he was going to make it happen for them. He was going to provide exactly what they needed. They were going out as his ambassadors under his authority. Some years later, as these groups of Jesus followers began to, to pop up all over the, the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul would write about the importance of being sent by Jesus to a world that desperately needs to hear his message. He would say this in Romans 10. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love the song that we just sang. He's just getting started. Do we have that kind of anticipation in our Christian life? Oh man, what, what might be the next thing that God has for me? I can't wait to find out. Each of you in this room have got a story to tell. A story that is unique to you. I mean, for the demon-possessed guy, he wasn't seeking Jesus. He was found and pursued by Jesus, and his life was changed. That's true for some of you in this room. Then there's the sick woman. She knew she needed something, and she did whatever she could to get to Jesus. That's some of you as well. So the story is unique to all of us in how Jesus has called us to this new life. But the truth is the same. And I want you to know this. You and me can actually share our faith with the same passion that we share about essential oils in the Seahawks. <laughs> we, 
We, we, it's not that hard. Like you've, you've actually done it, a version of this sharing before. Just share about Jesus in the same way. Share about how he's changed your life, how you've experienced his grace. You can say to people that the message of Jesus' forgiveness and favor has caused me to live my life differently. Let me explain how. Even when I'm going through tough times, I know that my future is secure in his eternal purposes. And my hope is based in the power of his life-changing love. And so when you encounter the depressed coworker, the addicted neighbor, the anxious classmate, you are the sent one. You have the spirit of God in you, and he has said, right where you are, you have my authority to be my ambassador. You have the secret sauce, the key to a new life. And his name is Jesus. So in closing, one of the things that we are going to have to do as a church to be a church of sent ones is we're going to have to ask the question of what we do with our fear. What do we do with our fear? You know, if Jesus were here right now and he says, okay, everyone, this is a great gathering this morning. Um, this afternoon, I want you to go down to the landing and I want you to find some folks and I want you to tell them about me and their need to change in the way that they've been living. What immediately would pop up in you? Fear. I see it in some of your eyes. I can't tell in your face because you have a mask on, but in your eyes, right? Will you be like, oh, no, <laughs> like, that's too much. Is there another way? Can we just give them some food? Uh, can we invite them to church on Sunday? Do I have to actually tell them this message? You know, part of the process of being Jesus' disciple, being his apprentice, is dealing with our fear. We saw the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and everything seems to be lost. They're giving in to fear, but Jesus was taking a nap. They're like, what is going on here? Jesus, I think, intentionally walked them through that so they could deal with their fear. So they could know that him being with them is enough. And this prepared them for their mission. And so right this morning, if you have undealt with fears, it will be a hindrance to the mission that Jesus has for you in your life. You can get stuck pretty easily. So in closing, just three, three, I think of the biggest fears that keep us from being a sent one. The first one is rejection. Before he sends them out, Jesus tells his disciples that they might very well get rejected. And it most likely uh, probably happened, but we actually don't get a, rec a record of that. What we do get is that they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. So we don't get the record of rejection, even though Jesus prepared them for it. What we do get is the beautiful thing that happened. There are a lot of reasons uh, to be insecure and unsure about the message. But there is zero reason to be afraid to tell people about Jesus. There's zero reason to be afraid to tell people about how he's changed your life. About how he is who he says he is. The second fear is one of comfort. I put provision as well. Jesus' instructions to his disciples are not a timeless command, but they are a timeless truth. 
Whenever we think about going, being sent by Jesus, as, especially as Americans, one of the very first things we think about is our own comfort. Oh, what will I lose if I do that? How will I fill in the blank if I go and do that? Comfort and provision are a big barrier to us, a big fear that we have to address in our lives. But I'll tell you this one thing. I have never, ever seen money, lack of money, being the thing that keeps people from following Jesus' will for their life. What I have seen is it be the excuse for not doing so. Time and time again. Somebody like Martin and Margaret, they have been engaged with overseas missions for years, and God has always provided what they need. Many of those years not being able to work a tangible job to provide for themselves, God has provided through the church, through those that have supported them as they've gone. I have never seen somebody not be able to walk into the mission of Jesus because of money. And yeah, that's our biggest excuse. And lastly, I think the, the third thing is, is really our belief. Do we believe? At the root of so many of our fears is belief in Jesus. Okay, yes, he did this thing 2,000 years ago, but will he really do it today? Okay, yes, he, he, he does it with some super Christians like Martin and Margaret, but will he do it with me? We believe this lie like we're inconsequential in the kingdom of God, and so then we doubt that Jesus sees us, that Jesus cares about us, or that anything in Scripture has anything to do with us as it relates to being called and sent. And it's just not true. Time and time and time again, you know who Jesus picks to be the one to represent him? The one that looks the most unlikely in society. The one that has the handicap. The one, you know Moses, uh, the leader of, e of Israel, had a speech impediment? <laughs> and he was chosen to be what? God's spokesman. He recruited his brother Aaron to help him out. But Gideon, who is literally a coward, was chosen to free his people against a vast army. Like this is the story of the people of God. That in our weakness, God's strength is made known. Do you believe that? No matter your age or your station, like I'm talking to 12-year-olds as much as I'm talking to 75-year-olds. In fact, 12-year-olds, I want you to hear this now. Because by the time you're 70 years old, it's a lot harder to get it out of your system. Do you believe that Jesus has a plan for your life? That when he sends you, he will provide everything that you need. In fact, the, the Bible says that Jesus will build the church, but that we are called to make disciples, each and every one of us. So the defining mark of our Christian life is our Christian witness. Jesus says, they will know you by the buildings that you build and the events you put on. No, he says, they will know you are mine by your love for one another. And that love is displayed as we go out and we tell people, as we love people like Jesus loved. Not the verse meme, not the Christian fish that you put on your car or even your church attendance. The defining mark of your Christian life is your Christian witness. So as you engage in your faith, Jesus 
call of discipleship is actually pretty simple. Do what I say. Say what I say. Love how I love. And it's impossible, right? It's impossible without knowing Jesus, without being empowered by his spirit. But the good news is both of those things are offered to us. That we can know God through his son Jesus and that we can be empowered by his spirit right now, today. So it's my prayer that we would shake off our fear of rejection, shake off our cloud of comfort, and just believe. And I want to say this, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, today's the day. Today is the day to choose him, to get off that path that leads to a dead end, and to recognize that what Jesus did for you in his life, his death, and his resurrection has made a new way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. May that be what we hold on to in this time and what we receive that sets us on the right path. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.